You were called to make the world brighter, to run on the front lines, to cast vision where it had not yet landed. You are not gifted to be a random burst of energy, but a consistent force that enables the world to hear beauty, see potential, and write stories in a way that points the world to Jesus. Provoke and inspire. Welcome to the Provoke and Inspire podcast, uh, inspiring people to follow Jesus in secular culture. That is our heart. That is our purpose. Uh, joining me on this podcast today is not the full complement of usuals. Uh, the usuals. Sounds like a terrible band name. Uh, but we do have three out of the four. We're a trio today. We have David Pierce, founder of Siger and No Longer Music. We have Luke. Hello, Greenwood. everybody. Yes, Luke Greenwood, current Hello, European I'm director. I'm so excited to be here with you all today. I'm so excited to be on this <laughs> podcast. What's with your arms? I don't know. Do you have something funny on your don't, arms? Don't do that. Yeah. I wear, I'm wearing my little suit I know. my I, t-shirt. Ah. Yeah, does it, the chafing can be hard, can't it? The, sha- the chafing. That's right. Yeah. This podcast should be just a whole, uh, just we marvel at the basic words David fails to pronounce. So the, the little suit, I think, could be something that you could use to support yourself. You could go around and have people put coins in it. Yes, you, if, out of sympathy. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, provoke and inspire podcasts, uh, trying to call follower of Jesus to have uh, radical faith in the midst of secular culture. Uh, if this is something you have listened to regularly, are inspired by, and uh, if it encourages you, or if there's someone in your life that you think needs to hear this, consider sharing it, uh, subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes. That really helps. Uh, before we get into the topics uh, of the day, we do want to do a quick shout out, a quick salute, if you will. And that is to Nathan from Canada. I don't have any more information from, than that. Maybe you don't have a last name, but but Nathan, you're probably the only one. We salute you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> Nathan. And if there are more than one Nathans in Canada, we also inadvertently salute you as well. Uh, no, Ben, there's these, only there's only right. one Nathan in Canada. Oh, all right. Yeah. So that's cool. And Nathan, we love you, that's man. Right. Thank you for for uh, yeah. your support, brother. Yeah, power on, bro. And he and he, like other listeners, have told me that he started listening right from the beginning of the podcast wow. to catch up. And yeah. that's a lot of podcast listening. So thank you for listening to all of that. Yeah, yeah, wow, that is that is uh, that's a lot. But uh thank you Nathan from Thanks, Canada. Thanks Nathan. Uh, anyway, set list for today, we have David's random story. Uh then we will follow that with a time of answering your questions. Uh after three or four episodes, we like to gather all of the different questions that were um uh, submitted either to our email or on our social media and we'll try to get to those um to cover the various topics that we looked at over the week uh weeks and we will try to uh, summarize that real quick and then get to those answers. Uh, And then we'll get to our main topic, which I have titled The Rise of Therapeutic Wish Fulfillment Christianity. So that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, And so without any further interruptions or waiting, we have the David's Random Story. So anyway, as as all of the listeners know, I studied philosophy in university and... uh, so I was taking a break. Well, certainly as the pineapple shirt would indicate. So I was I was taking a break in my so the legend goes. I was taking a break in my studies because I wanted to delay my education as long as possible, and uh, so I got a. <laughs> and I because got the a, teachers couldn't bear it anymore. <laughs> so I got a call 
from the sky. I was in Minneapolis where it's like minus 400 Celsius. And uh, he goes, yes. hey, come to L.A., man. We, I got a job for you and we can play tennis every day. And I thought, cool. So I flew to L.A. from Minneapolis to beautiful, sunny L.A., I got off this the better plane. not be the story about the job because you have told this one before. I did. No, that's another one. He's talking about the no. other job. Hey, Nathan from Canada, you what? you send us an email if you've heard this before. I since never you've told this from the before. beginning. Okay, go on. Go <laughs> so, on. So anyway, he goes. Um, there's no job. I was just lying to you, and I'm like, okay, then you have to support me. And he's going, that's cool. So I was just hanging out on the wow. beach, and he was working in a factory. And then he'd get off work, and then we'd, oh, wow. we'd, we'd play tennis. Pretty cool, huh, Luke? Kind of like your dream, isn't it? So That's like but, uh, that's what I've been waiting for all my but life. But anyway, I was getting, <laughs> was getting boring, and I thought, maybe I should get a job, you know? Yeah. And so he, yeah. uh, he goes, well, I know there's this jack-in-the-box. Because we'd, we'd ride our – it's like a fast food uh, restaurant. You know? Because otherwise, people are literally right. envisioning a box jack in the with a box. Guy named it's jack like a, in it. it's like a well, McDonald's. I, that's what I was doing. I was literally envisioning a jack in the like, box. There's a jack like, what, in what our box. It's it? like a McDonald's, if you will. Okay, so and I will. Right. Okay. So he's going. I bet you could get a job at the Jack in the Box, which is like a McDonald's in L.A. So yeah, I, okay. So I go cool. So <laughs> wait, so, is it a McDonald's? Is it like a McDonald's? So they had like a they had like a help wanted sign. So I go. Hi, I'd like to apply for a job. He said, he said, okay, come back the next day. So I came back the next day. And then he took, and th so I thought I'd go to an office, but he didn't take me to an office. He took me to the back of the kitchen and we're sitting on these boxes. And so okay. I wanted to like bring Jack in the boxes. Yeah. I wanted to bring like some joy or to the interview. So I go, this is really a cool office. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't really like that. Um, <laughs> So he said, so I don't think yeah. you have a corner office with a so, window and a jack in the box. I don't know. Out there. So then he goes, so when do you want to work? And I said, well, I'd like to work nights. And he goes, why do you want to work at night? And I said, so that I can lay on the beach during the day. And he didn't like that answer. <laughs> so then he said, honest. So then he said, so what do you think about free food? And I said, free food is great. I love free food. And, you, and he goes, no, about giving away free food. And I went, I would, I would never give away free food. And then, that's always the test, isn't it? I know. He's like, he's like, no, I think that's terrible. So needless to say, he didn't give me the job. But every time... <laughs> But every day, think about how I, different your life could have been. I know. So every day, you would have though, still been there flipping the greasers. I know. So every day, I'd go by there, that means. and my friend would go, go in and ask about your job. So I'd go in and I'd go, hey, when am I going to start my job? And he'd go, get out of here, and he'd start yelling at me. And I did that like <laughs> like we would do that on a regular basis. So I guess I guess the moral to the story is if you're going to work at a fast food place. From the beginning, tell them that you're against free food. 
<laughs> yes. All right. I do feel like, oddly, that seems to be the test. It's, like, the entire burger industry could come crumbling down if their employees would just be pro-free food. But I thought that he was just saying, what do I think what about free yeah. food in general? I mean, how could people not be into free he was, food? He was just trying to test your benevolence. You know, ah, what do you... That's yeah. Right. yeah. And it was the hippie times, so... Yeah, true. Was, he kinda, that was a bit of an entrapment, wasn't it? I, really? I think so. I, th- I should yeah. sue him. And then you got yeah, to lay on the beach anyway, so you were okay. Yeah, I feel like you probably end up getting what you wanted anyway. I mean, yeah, you know. but I I was sincere. Right. I wasn't trying to get not get the job. But on the plus side, it maintains your perfect record of never having a real job. Yeah, but I that doesn't mean that I uh, can't keep trying, does it? it does because if you, you don't... should go back there, back to that Jack and Box, and see if that guy will give you your job. Come I on, should. man. Yeah. Give me my job. David's random story. Oh, a little nugget of wisdom for you. And that was a pun because I'm sure they serve nuggets of some kind. You know? So oh, there you no. have it. And Jack in the Box. Yeah, old Jack in the Box. Jack in the Box. Um, anyway, getting on to the questions that you answered, our faithful listeners. We do like to invite No, no, no. You. The questions they asked. Oh. They asked the questions. Oh. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's what I'm here for. Just to make oh. sure we get it all well, right. That, that's unfortunate, isn't it? Because if they've already answered the questions, then what are we supposed to do? Ask then them again? Then there's nothing we I can think do I'm going to I think I'm a, I think I'm getting soothed into a to a zombie state here with this conversation. Yeah, but it was probably a Freudian slip because most people they they ask a question really and they answer it in the same way and it's kind of annoying. Like if you ever listen to those right. uh sort of YouTube debates and someone will basically state their whole point and then, I don't know, throw a question mark inflection at the end. And you're like, that was ridiculous. Uh, All right. I'm going numb. My legs are going numb again. Yep. That's the cream. (laughs) Uh, So these are the questions that were, in fact, asked, and they are this. Uh, Dirk Bajant, he is a fan extraordinaire, contributor to the podcast Provoke and Inspire and Come and Live World in the form of graphic design and other things. Uh, He sent me a whole list of uh, good questions, and rather than use them all at once, I will sort of distribute them in due time. Uh, But one thing that I thought was quite interesting that he said, um, or asked actually, was aren't there more important topics to talk about than the newest clickbait? Um, Should a follower of Jesus or even someone like, you know, something like us, our podcast, should we be chasing after the latest thing? Or is there actually, can there be a risk in that? Is there wisdom in doing that? Because that's part of what our podcast attempts to do. Um, or should we not be so prone to be sucked into the, the argument or the topic of the day and instead focus on things that we really feel led to speak on is what, what do you guys think about that question? Well, I guess, you know, I mean, we talk about the topics that are what people are thinking about and talking about right now, but I think in all of that, we are trying to communicate, um, something deeper than just that event or as you say, the clickbait, you know, and I think that's why we talk about it. It's an opportunity to then get into deeper topics. But, um, but a lot of people, you know, if we were to just say, let's talk about, I don't know, um, the seriousness of the Christian life, you know, a lot of people would not listen to it. So we do need to communicate in a way that people understand and are interested today. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Agreed. David. No, I feel the same way. And I feel like we try to get under the, why are, these issues, you know, what's, what does that say about culture? What does that say about the postmodern world that we live in today? And how do you communicate uh, in that? So to me, that's why we talk about current issues and topics, because we want to be relevant in the culture that we're living in. Yeah. And, and that, that's part of it is 
part of the heartbeat of this is helping people navigate the difficult times we live in and how should they react. Uh, and so there's a balance, of course. Right. We're not trying to be TMZ or some like tabloid thing where we're just chasing after the headlines. But people often want to know how to react in these situations, and we want to bring some insight there. So next question, <laughs> uh, Jenna Rice, she uh, had a comment or question related to our deconstruction podcast uh, where we talked about the whole age of deconstruction and doubt in, in sort of that's in vogue, not the magazine, but in popularity, in culture, in Christian <laughs> culture. Um, and I had brought up the point um, that that secularism, of course, is a dominant theme of our age, that people are abandoning their faith, that they see it as an outdated tradition of the past. Um, but within Christians, there tends to be this thing where they're not necessarily rejecting their faith, uh, but they're privatizing their faith. And she, the question she had is, I'm having difficulty finding the difference between privatization that you speak of and relativism. I wasn't necessarily putting those on opposite ends of the spectrum as much as to say that, that for a lot of Christians, they are not um, rejecting their Christian faith completely. They're just privatizing it. Right, so now it's something that they don't discuss. Mm-hmm. It's something they don't bring into the public sphere. Um, it's something that that's just for them uh, personally, but also maybe as it relates to relativism, I think it is important that for a lot of Christians, it's not that they believe that there are no absolute truths the way a lot of people in secular culture do. It's that they just don't feel they they privatize their beliefs to the point where. They just don't force them to interact with anybody else. I have my truths, and they're absolute for me. And so that seems semantic, but that's kind of the mm-hmm. distinction I was trying to make. Does, does that make sense, Luke? Do you need to clarify that at all? Um, no, it made sense you, the way you explained it, but I think she's got a good point. I, d- I don't know if... I don't know whether you can separate it out like that. I'm not, I'm not, I guess I'm not convinced that somebody that privatizes their faith to the extent of thinking they shouldn't or can't talk about it um, publicly or, sh- or or share it in a, in a broader sense, haven't actually already accepted relativism in a sense, even if they're not aware of it. I think that's one of the sure. issues a lot of the time. We're, we're living in a way where we've accepted those values that are around us and we're not always aware of it. But I, I think it is very similar. Privatization of faith, um, where I think my faith is just for me and, and, and I, I don't need to apply it maybe in all areas of my life and I don't need to talk about it in all areas of my life is is quite similar to saying well then because you've got to think about what's the reason for doing that and and um, in the background there the reason will be because I think well it's fine for somebody else to just believe something completely different and it doesn't matter I think it's more about the consequences I mean you haven't thought through the consequences of what you believe and so or or it's honestly Mm -hmm. subtle selfishness that is to say that you value right. peace above above confrontation. And so I I, mm-hmm. I think there are, there are people who outright reject absolute truth. They just say there is no absolute tr- yeah. truth. But I think most Christians, if you, you pushed them, they wouldn't say that. And yet they don't yeah. feel the need to express their absolute truth to anyone in the public sphere. And so to me, that, that could be fairly categorized as a privatization of their absolute beliefs. So I, I do think yeah. there's a, there is a subtle distinction there, David. Don't you agree? Well, and it's it's you know it's it's wanting to not not get in trouble with the society around us because the minute you start speaking about anything absolutely, then you're going to be attacked. And so I think it's that's it's like just keep your head down and not so you don't get in any trouble with anybody. In the meantime, no one hears the truth because all the all of the people that know the truth stay quiet. 
and the only ones talking are the people that don't have answers. And so they're the ones that, that are the ones featured on all the media and, and, yeah. and, and music and, and mm-hmm. on theater and state, whatever. In the meantime, yeah. the Christians, the ones that have the truth, are supposed to just be silent and respectful yeah. and, and not speak the truth that people are so desperately wanting to, to, to hear. So it's really quite yeah. ironic, actually. And it's a fear of man thing, and I think that's what Chad would say if he was here, right? That we ultimately, it's a fear-driven response to the incongruence of our beliefs in secular culture. Yeah, we we fear. The I'm not response. sure Chad would say that. I'm not. Well, sure he would Chad say would something, say not in those words. Well, you know, he would say it. Many, Maybe many you don't more need him words. on on the podcast. If you you know, you could just say now. This is what Chad <laughs> hey, says. Hey, I'm just trying to bring it. his voice to the table. Okay. Okay, uh, last question from Shana Anderson. Um, again, she had many different very good things to say, but if I could distill it down to a quick question, uh, how much of the cost of following Christ do we lay out as we present the gospel? Really, I think the heart of her question is related to the the podcast we did with Sai and um, in that context, and she does say, I know you can't get to everything in every podcast, but there wasn't a lot of mention of the sin involved and, and kind of confronting the sin in people's lives. And in this case, kind of the sexual sin in people's lives as it related to Jesus and, and his ability to redeem us. And so if I could distill our question down, how much do we need to emphasize that? Like how important is it that we emphasize the cost of following God and the, the, you know, the, the presence of sin in our lives and the need to repent? I mean, I think I know the answer to that question, but what, what do you guys think about her, her question concern? I mean, for me, there's two points I'd like to make. One is that I think when we present the gospel, we should present um, with clarity what what it means to follow Jesus and that following Jesus is surrendering. And actually, I think that's a pretty um, powerful uh, point in the gospel that can be very um, attractive to people today because people want something that they're really willing to um, fight for. And, and, and there's kind of a, a revolutionary a theme there in understanding I've got to let everything down and surrender mm. and and, uh, and give my life for something. But I think in the specific context there, like with the podcast we did with Sai, there's a real challenge there, especially when people are coming from um, a, a life of a lot of confusion in sexuality or, or um, coming from um, mm. like the, uh, a life of, um, of maybe a gay lifestyle or something like that. There's an immediate barrier um, for them to even be interested in the gospel, in Jesus and in Christianity, because they know that they're going to be rejected because of that particular point that's been talked about yeah. all over publicly and everything. And I think that it is important to help somebody meet Jesus and see who Jesus is before they already start feeling judged or condemned by the Christian community in that sense. And that's what I think um, we're trying to get out there. And I think that's what Sai does very well, where he really is concerned about God's heart and God's love for people. Just one example in that, like when Jesus met um, Zachariah, the tax uh, collector, that was a, a sin that was very public and well-known and talked about in the religious community there. Of Like it's wrong to be a tax collector. So when Jesus meets him, he could have immediately said, look, you can follow me, but you've got to stop being a tax collector first. But he doesn't do that. The first thing he says is, can I come um, to Zacchaeus, can I come and, and have a meal in your house? Let's. I, I want to spend time with you. And he spends time with Zacchaeus. And then as far as we can see in the story, Zacchaeus comes to that conclusion mm. on himself. Uh, but by spending time with Jesus, he goes, 
I'm going to give all I have to the poor. And I think that's the awesome reaction that we would want to be looking for in a lot of people that are yeah. hurt, um, are in sin, but are hurt by um, some of what, what we say and do as, as, a, as a church today. So I think we need to be careful with that. Yeah, it's it's complicated. And I think, again, people don't, like we say a lot, people don't need um, some sort of life improvement plan or an approach to behavior modification. You know, they, they we need to be presenting the full Jesus to people. And, and also, you know, there's this era of just, you know, low bar, raise your hand, go on about your life. God doesn't care about how you live, all that kind of thing. And, and we're not we're not saying that. And and I know that even in this question, there was a mention of, you know, it's impossible to explain your, the full heart of what you mean in every particular podcast. But yes, we we need to be saving people from the things in their lives that are destroying them. And that's ultimately what sin is, um, is these things are destroying people and, and they need to be set free. And if we're not sharing that, we're not ultimately sharing the gospel. And, and that's kind of the truth. So... All right. Uh, thanks for your questions. Do send those in. I know we didn't get to all of them, and we do our best to do that. So um, uh, comment on <laughs> comment on social media in this case, uh, despite what I've said in the past. <laughs> uh, send in your emails, provokeandinspire at comeandlive.com, um, and we'll try to get to those every few weeks. Uh, do want to mention real quick before hey, we Hey, move Ben. On. Yes? Uh, I, got a, uh, <laughs> a, I got a text from Nigel, and he's. it's pretty sad. I don't know. Am I, can I share it or not? Give me my tiny suit back. So, anyway, <laughs> Nigel, for those there of you, there's are, Chad. For those of you who don't know, Nigel's a silent clown. That uh, he's a contributor to the podcast. You know, yes, he doesn't. A he top doesn't, fan. I love uh, fine cheeses. But anyway, he just sent me a text, and apparently, he was arrested at the Mall of America because of the way he was dressed. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. Because he wear again. He was, now that's already happened. Because he was wearing a you know his yellow raincoat. Uh, the red boots, yep. uh, cummerbund, the whole thing, leopard print bikini suit. And so suit. apparently, he's uh, starting a fund me campaign because uh, he wants to bring <laughs> a fund. He not wants a to bring. Me, he, bring a... he wants to bring a lawsuit discrimination against the silent clown community. Uh, the silent clown community, the SCC. So if you if you guys are, you know, if you want to support Nigel, uh, you can go on his his website, uh, Nigel the Clown. Uh, if you want to stand up against this, uh, just that's it. Just Nigel the Clown, not dot edu, not dot gov. I'm gonna check that out, and uh, you can just Nigel the Clown. There's no so, Nigel. So the I clown. would really encourage you to stand up for the SCC. That's 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 all I want to say for Nigel. Poop, there it is. See, I'm looking up. The... Uh, all right, um, before we move on, and while Luke looks up Nigel the Clown dot whatever, looks uh, like hasn't gone live yet. It hasn't well, gone live yet. Needs well, yeah, he's, he, David didn't say he had all of it together. You know, it's a work in progress. So, right. Uh, I do want to point you get some your interesting attention. images though when you type that in. Uh, to our Steiger <laughs> Mission School, something that we uh, uh, talk about frequently. If God has called you to be part of what we are doing to reach and disciple the global youth culture for Jesus, the first step for you is our ten-week Steiger Mission School located in Germany. Uh, it is an incredible time of seeking God, being with like-minded people from all over the world, learning how uh, to relevantly uh, evangelize and disciple people outside of the church. Uh, for more information on that, you can go to steigerorg SMS, and I really, really uh, highly recommend you check that out. Anyway, uh, moving on to the main topic de jour, and I already mentioned sort of what uh, that was going to be. 
Uh, and the title that I've given it is The Rise of Therapeutic Wish Fulfillment Christianity. So what do I mean by that? Well, let me just set this up. My, my impression, and again, it's just an impression, and maybe we can start by debating whether this is accurate or not, uh, is that the pervasive messaging of our churches today and the books that are coming out and Christian bookstores and the worship music in particular, I think, that is um, being p- performed and sung in our churches uh, seems to be all about um, your comfort. It seems to be about, uh, you know, God sort of bringing um, relief in the midst of trial and provision in the midst of of struggle. And it seems to be this very much therapeutic wish fulfillment kind of Christianity. And so the question I had as I kind of have been perceiving this is, while I believe that many Christians need healing, they need their identities restored, all of us do, I think many Christians also need a push. They, they need, they need um, to be called to self-denial and obedience, and, and they need to be pushed out of their apathy and into action. Uh, and I just kind of want to bring this up as, as a potential problem within the messaging of the church. And, and so I guess I'll start with you, Luke. Do you agree that, that this is kind of a, a thought form in our day? Is this kind of prevalent in our churches, or am I just making this up? No, no, I agree. I think it is. And not just in the churches. I think, again, as we often say, it, there is a reflection of that in culture where yeah. um, mm-hmm. I think we are a generation that is a lot more kind of touchy feely, emotional based. I mean, in general, I'd say we probably value emotions and feelings more than facts a lot of the time. And so yeah. um, that that creates a background and a context for in the church for us to tend to talk more about those things and to care about those rather than laying it out as it is. And, um, and I think that that, that create, yeah, I agree with you. It does create a lot of issues and problems and maybe part of it is a reaction. Like I think, uh, some of us, or even maybe our parents were reacting to a past that is recognized or analyzed as legalistic and as, um, being based on the rules and regulations or yeah, the tradition wait about, wait, thinking wait. about it. That that when when was that? Two hundred years ago? I mean, during the during the Jesus movement in the seventies, it was not that was not at all. I mean, when was this league? I keep yeah, no, but our parents. Yeah, but I hear this all the time. I mean, your par- your parents might be different to my parents. Were your parents legalistic? No, come on, it's like I, I'm saying I'm saying my parents reacted to that. Your parents did, not mine in particular, but people to make his point. So a hundred years ago. Not that long ago. No, honestly, I don't think that long ago. I think the church of the 60s, the 70s, the 50s, you know, that period of time was a church that got criticized for being legalistic. But yeah, of course, 200 years ago as well. This is a long history of tradition and people just following tradition because um, it was a tradition and not really doing it because they thought it through. And I think we're reacting to that now where we're saying, no, you got to think this through. You can't have a faith just because you're told or because you're following rules. And then we go the other extreme. And then we start like just talking about, you know, how we feel and feeling good rather than really looking at the, you know, what, what, what's right and wrong. I think it's because we've lost uh, the, the idea of the awesome, how, the holiness of God, he's, you know, it's like a book I saw when I was in Australia. Uh, Jesus is a cool bloke. You know, it's basically uh, we've lost this, this sense of God and his, his infathomable strength and power and, and holiness. And so then, then I'm never going to want to have this kind of Christianity that costs some, asks something of me. Then it's yeah. a, it, the, you know, it's Jesus... 
I'm in the center. You see that in a lot of missions today. You know, it's a what what do I want to do? What do I want to see? Where would I like to go? Uh, I'm a rock climber. I want to be a rock climber for Jesus. You know, it's I'm in the center, not Jesus. And I think that's that's a lot of what you see in a lot of yeah. Christian churches today. But I think what to Luke's point, I, I I do think it's a reflection. People are products of their culture and the environments that they're in, and I, I think that people are as susceptible to misunderstand the churches that they were a part of as much as to be victims of it. But also, I think what it is is that as as secularism and relativism become increasingly dominant in secular culture, the the sort of self-denying, you know, radical, narrow road following of Jesus becomes more and more incongruent. And I think especially here in the U.S., but I think in the West in general, you saw a major shift of of nominal cultural Christians abandoning ship. They were they were leaving the faith because the the social cost now became so high that it wasn't worth following Jesus anymore. And I think the mistake. Um, and again, I'm not criticizing a church or a pastor or a worship band, but I think the mistake that we've made is that we've we've a- adapted our faith to be more attractive. And I, and, and I think that's what a lot of this is, is that we've recognized that people are leaving. And so we've sort of stripped away anything that maybe would be, would, would confront. And we've instead created a version of, of Christianity, you know, whole seeker sensitive idea that we've created this, this version of Christianity that's more palatable, that kind of appeals to our, our wounds and our, our desire to be fulfilled and, and happy uh, it's the more subtle prosperity gospel. So don't don't you think in some part this is a reaction to Christianity's incongruence in secular culture today? Isn't that part of this? Well, I think we should be sensitive, you know, to seekers. So to me, that's not a contradiction to have, be sensitive to people outside of the church. But that doesn't mean I don't bring the real Jesus to them. Uh, so I think there's a way to be sensitive. I think we should be sensitive. But... At the same time, what they want is something just like I do that's worth dying for. I mean, so to bring this 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 other Jesus, this Jesus that's not powerful, that doesn't raise the dead, that doesn't set us free from our addictions, uh, that lets us stay the way we are, doesn't help anybody. Doesn't help me. And I think the re- when when we, but part of it is, I think that as leaders, you know, whether as leaders in the church, we have to be that way. You know, we can't bring a Jesus that we don't know. And I think part of it is that uh, yeah. there's been a, uh, this watered down Jesus is because we as leaders have watered down our own walk with God. You know, I don't know. How can I present to somebody else what I don't know? I think a lot of it comes down to the, it goes to the moment of what discipleship is. Because, you know, just sure. connecting with what you guys are saying about seeker sensitive, like there's there's a time where, um, we want people to come and hear and, and, and meet Jesus and understand who he is. And then there's a time of growing and learning. And, and that, see, here's the thing I think that, that we need to understand about the God of the Bible, that He's it shows throughout Scripture how concerned he is with us growing and understanding who he is and learning. And, and, and that process only happens when I'm willing to surrender, when mm-hmm. I'm willing to pick up my cross and carry and. And I think that we we mess that up, and and then like you were saying, David, as leaders, when we do that wrong, we cause a lot of trouble for people um, down the line. And I think even non-believers see this and realize this. It was really interesting. The other day I was watching 
um, this thing, you know, that, you know, Jordan Peterson um, guy who's yeah. all over YouTube at the moment and everything. But he, he was just talking about this um, from a perspective of, of, a, of a non-Christian and just saying, you know, if you twist, I think he put it something like if you twist the fabric of reality here to try to say, you know, this is okay, it'll spring back at you later on in life and you'll realize um, the mistakes uh, from from making certain bad decisions in life, and we do that in the church. We like don't tell people as it is, or we say, "Oh, you made this mistake, but it's okay." And then later on, that, that just gets worse and worse. Like mm. I had a friend who who had a real, you know, had had struggle, had a moral failure. And I told him, "Hey, I think you should have some time out and really think this through, and don't be doing stuff. Be like." take some time to learn and grow and then he talked to his pastor and his pastor said hey you want to join the worship team after he told him that he just had this moral failure so it's kind of like it just doesn't there's no doesn't make sense you know we're not helping people see man take some time to grow change Mm. one thing that you hit on david that i really agree with is i i think this is a a view of god problem um that that our churches our books our worship songs are cannot rise higher than our view of god Right. That, it, that it begins with having a, a holy, reverent view of God. And, and a you know, quote I like to, to share all the time is from A.W. Tozer. Um, and he writes, What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. And so I think a huge part of this is that we need to have a revelation of the fullness of who God is, right? And I think often when you have mistakes, it's when our view of God gets distorted. So when we emphasize one uh, attribute or one one set of attributes of who God is over and against another, right? And so we elevate the grace and the mercy and the friendship of the, of our Father, but we never talk about sin, judgment, or wrath. You know, wrath has been something that's I, it keeps coming up. I'm reading through Romans and, and wrath is just, first of all, it's a weird antiquated kind of word that we struggle with. But the idea that wrath is simply God's rightful anger against injustice, against his design and will being disobeyed. And when we think of a human judge, you know, would we, would we, you know, applaud a human judge that would just, you know, some murderer is brought before him and he's, he's totally guilty. It's 100% proven and the judge is just kind of like, meh, you know, that's cool. Like, you know, I just love you and I'm, I just want to be your friend, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge that. You know, we, we would be like, that's a terrible, incompetent judge. You know, a good judge is someone that is angry about the, the bad things that are done and brings justice and, and to those that, that have been hurt. And, and so I think it's about really, I think having a full view of who God is, is the way to sort of get back to then having the right, quote-unquote, religion, having the right sort of songs and sermons and books, because when we view God right, then we begin to communicate the fullness of who he is. I think another another aspect to this is when Paul talks about what our life should be like as followers of Jesus, he uses examples like a soldier or a farmer or a boxer. Uh, he talks about that we shouldn't be involved in civilian affairs, Um and so there is a hardcoreness to following Jesus that has always been a part of being a New Testament Christian, but but that's that you don't see that a lot. You, I mean, am I? You know, I don't hear a lot about. Let's take the narrow road. Let's let's be disciplined. I mean, I know this is a generalization, but I'll be in like these. You know, sometimes some pretty 
nice churches and you see people there and they're spending all kinds of money to send their kids to private tennis lessons uh, or, you know, having special, you know, special schools where they can get tutored so they can get into the best universities. But very little uh, is spent on their spiritual life, you know, serious spiritual life. And, and to me, when that is why that's a symptom or shows why things are so, so weak in, in a lot of our churches, because we don't take the spiritual life so seriously. It's just like, yeah, you know, just, just be a decent Christian and then get, let's, let's see how successful we can be in the, in the, in the world. And, and which is actually no success at all. And then we end up with this Jesus that has no power. And but again, isn't that a, a view of God thing? Because you, you yeah. just, God is kind of this thing you add along to everything else that you're doing. And right. so you have your God and you got your tennis yeah. lessons and yeah. you don't have the the proper perspective. And you also don't understand sin accurately, I don't think. It's like we, we the only thing that we really feel about sin is we feel maybe uh, ashamed or guilty, but we also don't understand that to not live as God intends for us to live is to rob ourselves of the most incredible life that he has for us. Right. And so to live as he designed is, is amazing. And, you know, again, to bring up Jordan Peterson, <clears throat> he had this, you know, I was watching this clip of, of him speaking and it's amazing because he's not a follower of Jesus. Um, but he talks about this idea in our culture that to tell someone that they're fine the way they are is nonsense he says it's just ridiculous right. that yeah. that is that is the most worthless thing to say that our culture has traded good for equal that right, it's right. leveled the playing field and that you know and you see this in our churches no one's great no one's good right, there's right, no better right. moral way everyone's kind of the same and we've what he and to use his words we've eroded qualitative distinctions and, and so basically what we've done is said, there, oh, there's, no, there's no difference in the way Billy lives over against John. It doesn't matter. We're all kind of the same. And he says that this robs us of having a, a trajectory towards the better by eroding qualitative distinctions. Now we have nothing to strive for. And then he said this amazing phrase. He said, that's why the redeemer and the judge are the same thing. Hmm. Is this amazing non-Christian mm-hmm. saying this statement that you hmm. don't have redemption without judgment. Right. You don't have redemption without saying there are some things you need to leave behind. The way you're living is not okay. Right. And if we erode all qualitative distinctions and just say, no, everyone's equal, kind of this leveling of the playing field, we, we've just mm. robbed someone of the ability to be better. And that's his secular yeah, phrase. And, and I would say we've robbed them of the ability to be yeah. like Jesus and to live like him. What are you going to say, Luke? Yeah, that is incredible coming from him. Um, but just going back to your original point there of our view of God, I think, again, plays into that because our, our ultimate picture of what is good and what is the, you know, the greatest is, is to be able to look to God as, a, as the reference. And when we lose sight of who he is and, and of his awesome power of his holiness, then, then we can't understand what we're working towards, what we're exactly. aiming towards. So that's, that, that is a really important point you were saying, Ben. And I, I think it's, I'd like to tie it into your title, what you were bringing up as it relates to worship. And I, I think that that is a big issue. Uh, we're talking more in general terms, but it comes across in a teaching in the church, but it also comes out in worship a lot. And I think that this 
really needs to challenge us uh, if we're worship leaders or in you know involved in the ministry of leading uh, the church in worship to remember what worship's about and to look at the psalms and the scripture and just so many examples of men realizing who god is and exalting him for who he is and that's what worship yeah. is about not not about singing about my feelings or about um you know how you know, even even though I can I can sing and say, "Wow, God loves me so much," and that can be in a sense glorifying Him, but there's too much of that that ends up becoming focused yeah. on me and what I get and what I'm feeling. So I really think we need to look again at stuff like you know Isaiah and how he saw God, or Solomon yeah. when he went to open the temple, when he went to inaugurate the temple, how much awe there was and reverence, and just yeah. the king kneeling before God in front of all the people and and crying out to Him and saying, "God, please hear our prayers when we're here. You are holy. You are awesome. There's no reason why you would come down to this temple and hear our prayers." and cries out to him and then God's answer to that is filling the temple with his presence and and so just mm. having that kind of awareness of God and experience there's such a lack of that um in in our churches today in our Christian life and we need that again to see God for who he is again so I really agree with that point you were making there yeah yeah it's um again I think ultimately we by creating this sort of level playing field where where there's nothing to strive for i think ultimately people don't really resonate with that anyway i think people like you said david want something to give their lives for they they innately sense that something is deeply wrong with them and that they need someone to save them and yes it's not it's these it's these you know uh paradoxes it's these tensions these apparent paradoxes within our faith that we are perfectly loved our identity is secure in jesus and yet it's undeniable that he he as paul says we should beat our bodies and we should train them into submission and we should run the race so as to win um it, it's a it's an appeal to not waste your life and, and to not sort of settle for this spiritual infancy and i think that's part of it um is that we've kind of created mm-hmm. a culture of tolerating infancy within our spiritual lives where nothing is challenged you know everything is a window and nothing's a mirror nothing's mm-hmm. kind of pointing back and saying are you doing something? I mean, even in our the church I go to, the whole message was faith does. Faith creates action. If faith, it's 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 great to hear. It's great to even agree. But if it doesn't do anything, if it doesn't respond, as James says, it's dead. Right. And, and I think that's part of what we need to recognize is that we are called to see the fullness of who God is, respond in light of that. Um, and, and then have the kind of faith that actually grows and lives and changes and, and accomplishes things in the world. That's what we are created for, uh, not sort of this soothing, therapeutic Oprah Christianity that accomplishes nothing. So, uh, yeah. yeah. We miss out. We miss out on so much with that. Sorry, you were going to come. You were no. going to end it there, were you? <laughs> no, I had, a, I had one of those deep sigh breaths like, well, there you have it, everybody. I was just going to say that I think we miss out on so much when we don't when we forget that about God. We miss out, like you're saying, don't waste your life, um, and we we do miss out on full fully being satisfied and fully finding that joy and peace that the the Scripture talks about. Because we we tend to then look for what the world, how the world can satisfy me, rather than that satisfaction in God being glorified. And I think that exactly. that that's that you see, there's that's something we talk about a lot, and it comes. I don't think we always get it, like. 
I appreciate some like John Piper talks about this a lot. Um, he always talks about how we're fully satisfied when when God's glorified, and sometimes I think we don't get that, and it seems like this I, yeah. cool, holy, religious term, and we don't think it through. I I see it as like it's something that our our hearts and our desires are wired in the culture and in the context to be quickly satisfied, and to really understand what it means to find joy in God is something you have to learn and it comes with discipleship it comes with growth Agreed. so it's like a, an acquired taste in a sense of realizing mm. that my heart is so much more deeply satisfied and find so much deeper joy when god is glorified in my life when i understand who he is where what i do and say points to his character and reflects his character and i only discover that when i live it and yeah. so so often we we miss out we don't get it we're not growing we're not learning because we we're not looking to him for who he is yeah absolutely yeah no it's a, a deep interesting topic um and uh, a work in progress for everybody and and of course correction you know it's something that we tend to pivot from one extreme to the next and we just need to continue to come back to who god is uh, and he has mercy in that process so anyway hope this was a interesting provocative uh, encouraging topic for you uh, again if you have questions comment on our social media or send in an email uh, do share this with people uh, if this has encouraged you um, we need um, you to help spread the message of this podcast farther than we can take it uh, subscribe if you haven't already otherwise leave us a, a review and rating on itunes uh, otherwise thank you for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time Peace. Nice. 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 Thanks for listening to Provoke and Inspire, the official Come and Live podcast. To hear past podcasts, go to comeandlive.com. Got a question for the guys? Send it in to provokeandinspire at comeandlive.com.